2: from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Batter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Next to me, someone who's brightened up the studio, beautiful. Look at the beautiful flower. Her name is Sophia. Say hello, Sophia. Hi. Can you say it one more time. Scream that. Hi. She, she's so delicate. She doesn't want to offend the camera. And, Sophia, I understand something exciting is coming up in your life. What is it? I'm going to Hawaii. She's going to Hawaii. That is going to be so fun. When you get over there, now listen, get over there, look around, and you're going to see how beautiful it is, and you're going to say, God made a beautiful, beautiful paradise over there. So that's going to be wonderful. And is there something you'd like to say to the camera and to the audience? Yes. Okay. Um, hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on the show. All right. All right, folks, Jonas, join us tomorrow night. Uh, That is Wednesday, July 6th, 6 p.m., Wheeler Farm, for what we feel is one of the most important messages that you will ever hear about Christianity and politics today. Uh, Take one more look at some in-house propaganda. Tomorrow night, Wheeler Farm, 6 p.m. We're headed into one of the most serious times in Christian history, folks. Dark powers are pulling to destroy the moral foundation in which we have uh, lived, and darker powers are pushing us to embrace a human as the source of economic and social salvation. What to do? Start by joining us tomorrow night, 6 p.m., Wheeler Farm. And listen, we want to welcome a whole bunch of students from UC Davis, California. Grab a pencil and paper. Uh, All around the nation, even parts of the world, people are coming out of Mormonism. If you're looking for someone to talk to about being LDS and wanting to come out, someone who's uh, gone before you and knows what it's all about, And not just to leave, but to leave and into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you might want to see if some of those representatives live in your area. We're going to show you a list right now of Aletheia representatives. Take a look. happen to live in one of those areas and you're coming out, thinking of coming out, trying to understand what Christianity is all about and your LDS, write us. Say, hey, I live in Saratoga, Saratoga Springs, uh, Utah, and I saw that Joe is a representative there. Could you put me in contact with him? And then we will take your email and we will forward it to Joe, and Joe will contact you and you'll get together. Now, we've already had people get together in Pennsylvania. We've had people get together in other places. I don't know. I don't handle it. Cassidy and Mary handle it, but uh, it's happening. It's happening. And it's a great thing because you, you, you don't want to be alone. You want to have someone that you can talk to. So just write us. And of course, if you want to be an Alathia representative and be on that list that we scroll once a month, uh, write us and tell us and we'll talk to you about how to do that. Finding an adept and honest uh, mechanic can be as difficult as finding a relaxed pig at a luau. Uh, But affordable automotive on Ninth East is both good and honest for all of your automotive needs. Affordable automotive! There's my commercial form. All right, how about a moment from the word? Bible, we are just going through and hitting on passages uh, that, that deal with things that, that talk about Mormonism and Christianity and the differences between the two, and we've worked our way up to Matthew chapter 19, and at verse 16, we read a story about a rich man coming to Jesus, and the introductory verses of this story present us with a fascinating situation. It says in Matthew 19, 16, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Instead of answering the man right back, uh, Jesus asks him a question in return and says, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Now, when I was LDS, uh, and the problem still continues today, There was great confusion even amongst the members about whether Jesus was God or the created Son of God or the literal Son of God conceived uh, by the uh, Heavenly Father having relations with Heavenly Mother uh, or if He was just our elder brother. Um, There was all kinds of, of issues that people would say He's this or He's that. They didn't really have a strong ability to say He was one or the other. Uh, Often, Latter-day Saint people call Jesus their elder brother. That's what he is to them. The Christian view on this passage is just this. Jesus is God in the flesh. See, the rich young ruler came to uh, Jesus and referred to him by a very unique name that's not in uh, all the writings that the Jews have. He prefaced calling him rabbi or master or great teacher with good. He came to him and he said, good rabbi, okay? And um, this title that he used gave Jesus an opportunity to reveal his identity to the man. So Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? There is no one good, there is none good but one, and that is God, Now, we can assume one of a couple things from his response. First, Jesus was saying, Don't call me good, uh, because there is none good but one, and that is God. And he's saying, I'm not good, only God is good. Now, I had an LDS Institute director tell me that was the definition of it, because Jesus is so humble. He would never refer to himself as God. Okay, I actually had that taught to me when I was younger. Uh, Or he was saying... Why are you calling me good? You realize that, there is only that is, there's only one that is good, and that is God. So, you know, uh, are you ready to admit that I am God? Uh, certainly, Jesus was good. He was all good. He was a billion percent good. And therefore, we know that he was speaking in this latter sense. And he was trying to get the rich young ruler to identify him as God in the flesh, as the promised Messiah. This uh, is a gigantic issue which the LDS need to um, get unconfused about, um, about who Jesus really is, even amongst themselves. Now, quickly consider the following issues that add to their confusion. I'm going to give you a couple headings and just hit through why this is so difficult for them to understand who Jesus is. Uh, First, consider Jesus' existence. According to Mormon theology, Jesus had a beginning. Uh, He was created just like you and me spiritually. Uh, But according to the Bible, Jesus did not have a beginning. Jesus is the eternal God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, What about Jesus, our spirit brother, According to LDS belief, Jesus uh, is the brother of all of us, all of us in a pre-existence. He was our elder brother spiritually, and even the elder brother of Satan. But according to the Bible, it was Jesus who created Satan. And only those uh, who do the will of the Father, according to Mark, which is to believe in him and love because of him, are considered the spiritual siblings, brothers and sisters, of Christ, And in what way was Jesus conceived? Well, we know that the uh, Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and that is the way that she conceived. But Mormon theology, Jesus is the literal son of the father who has a body of flesh and bones, who sired Jesus the same way that a, a, a father on earth sires a son. Don't believe me? Go to Journal of Discourses 8, colon 115. Journal of Discourses 8, colon 115 and read. That is the teaching. Um, uh, In fact, Brigham Young said that the idea that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary is rubbish. Just to let you know. And where was Jesus born and of what tribe was he? The Book of Mormon teaches that in Alma 7, 9 through 10 that Jesus was born in Jerusalem and is of the tribe of Benjamin. According to the Bible, Jesus was born in Bethlehem and of the Davidic kingly line of Judah. And was Jesus married? According to some early LDS teachings from prophets in the early LDS teachings, yes, he was married. Of course, Christians don't believe that. The Bible doesn't say that. Was Jesus a polygamist? Uh, According to Mormon teachings, Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, page 259, yes, Jesus was a polygamist because he obeyed the eternal law of polygamy in order to fulfill all things. Of course, do I even need to state the Christian view on that? And then where did Jesus atone for sin? Of course the LDS say he atoned for sin in the garden by contemplating on what it would be. Christians know that the atonement was for sin was inflicted by death, the same way an animal sacrifice in the Old Testament was inflicted upon the animal and the animal was killed. Not putting a little pin and forced to really think about it, it was killed and that is how the atonement for sin occurred. And then was Jesus' blood enough to cleanse all sin? Common LDS belief, Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 247 of 1856. No, his blood does not cover all sins. There are some sins that you have to shed your own blood in order to even possibly have a chance for remission of those sins. And according, according to the Bible, his blood is shed for all sin. And then, uh, was there darkness when Jesus died? Uh, Joseph Smith trying to best the Bible and beat it out where the Bible says there was three hours of darkness. Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon says there was three days of darkness when he died. And then where did Jesus preach his gospel? Of course, Joseph said he did in the Americas as well as Jerusalem. This is amazing because according to the Bible, Jesus is seen ascending into heaven. An angel tells his disciples, hey, he will return in the same way. Don't worry about it. Joseph said he went to the Americas. And then what of salvation? Bottom line, through Christ. To the LDS, Jesus paid for sin conditionally. But Joseph Smith must also be accepted as a prophet of God to enter into the highest degree of heaven. That's Doctrines of Salvation, volume 1, page 188. Uh, And Mormonism and their practices must also be embraced and followed and lived and obeyed in order to enter that highest degree or at least received in the afterlife. All of that is aside from the Christian belief which says, hey, Jesus is the only way. Acts 14.12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, talking about Jesus, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And, uh, oh, excuse me, 412. And then John 614 says, Jesus says himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, the LDS say all these rites and rituals, etc. cetera. So we've got all that. Uh, LDS book, um, Articles of Faith, LDS Apostle James Talmadge called Justification by Faith in Jesus Christ is a pernicious doctrine and he states that it has an influence for evil. That's on page 107, but Ephesians says, for by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. LDS apostle Bruce R. once stated at Brigham Young University that a, pers- quote, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is improper and perilous. That's in Church News, March 20th, 1982, page 5. But according to the Bible, Jesus is prayed to. According to the Bible, Jesus was worshipped. According to the Bible, Jesus is called God. He allowed Thomas to call him Lord and my God. And Isaiah said of him that he's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. Micah 5.2 says that he is from everlasting. Was Jesus good? He was more than good. Jesus was God, and he is everything to everyone who believes. If he's not, if things are added to him, taken away from him, then you're missing the mark, all right? With that, let's have a prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you and need you at this time. Uh, We pray for our audience here. We pray for those who are in TV land watching, on the archives, on YouTube, and just be with us as we talk about this next segment Uh, regarding the Book of Mormon and the way Joseph Smith uh, constructed it and brought it about. We love you, Lord. We need you. Open eyes and ears. Bless our volunteers. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't mean to rhyme that last part. Uh, So let's go back for a second, and we're going to lay out where we are so you can see the progress. Now, there's a method to this madness. So, Derek, you're going to show the board. And what we have here, I hope you can see it. I can't see it. Can you guys see it on the screen? All right, good. Listen, first we had the ground upon which Joseph Smith developed uh, and that's the early American settings that we've talked about, right? That was uh, when we were building the case that early America and everything we covered. And then last few weeks we've been talking about the actual seed for the Book of Mormonian. We're calling it the Book of Mormonian. Why? Because it was built and it has many layers. And it's Joseph Smith's family, his parents, his grandparents, his mother, and how they contributed to his makeup and his early life experiences that put the seed in his hand. So he's standing on early American setting ground, he has the seed in his hand, and now we're gonna begin to talk about the fertilizer that he stockpiles. He hasn't buried the seed yet, he has it in his pocket, he's gathering fertilizer in which he's going to bury this thing and cover it with. And what fertilizer is that? Tonight, we're going to start to talk about the fertilizer he uses, and that there's no greater fertilizer for this thing called the Book of Mormon than the folk magic practices and beliefs which Joseph Smith's family and Joseph Smith himself adhered to all of his life. Now, we're going to start slow tonight with this, and in the coming weeks, we're going to keep adding on to this pile of manure. And I am telling you, it plays such a role in the way this Book of Mormon came about, it's going to blow your mind, all right? So, in the year of 1961, which I was born, um, there was no external evidence available that said Joseph Smith was a con man who used magic practices and tomfoolery to get money out of people, all right? There was just rumors floating around, but the evidence was so scant that Mormons uh, were able to respond to every single accusation by just saying, you're just anti-Mormon, those things are not true. Um, And then you see what happened, over 130 years, because there was no evidence to prove he actually was a con man, Guys like LDS scholar Dr. Hugh Nibley assumed that since nothing had popped up over those first 130 years to convict him of actually being a charlatan, uh, then nothing ever would. And what this did is it prompted Hugh Nibley in 1961, Dr. Hugh Nibley, to say in the book he wrote called The Myth Makers, uh, he said, he brashly stood out and he said this, that the founder of Mormonism uh, had never been arrested or convicted for the crime of glass-looking. And that means, that was a, a term to describe somebody who would pretend to look into something and see a vision of something else like where buried treasure was. And Nibley says, listen, this has never been proven, okay? And he wrote, quote, that if Joseph Smith was ever actually proven guilty of these evil lies, it would quote, constitute the most damning blow that could be imagined against Joseph Smith's claim to divine seership, end quote. That's 1961, the best apologist Mormons have, he's saying if anything ever came out and proved this, it would be the most damning evidence. Another LDS defender and supposed Mormon scholar, now I don't really know if you can be a, a scholar, like a Mormon scholar, while you're trying to prove a fiction, is that possible? Can you be a scholar of a fiction? Can there be a Santa Claus scholar? Uh, I I don't know if you can, but anyway, these Mormon scholars, this guy named Francis Kirtland, uh, he said that if a court record was ever found, it would prove Mormonism was completely false. He wrote, quote, careful study of all facts regarding this alleged confession of Joseph Smith in a court of law that he had used a seer stone to find hidden treasures for purposes of fraud, must come to the conclusion that no such record was ever made and therefore is not in existence. He went on. If any evidence had been, fa- had been in existence that Joseph Smith had used a seer stone for fraud and deception, and especially that he made the confession in a court of law as early as 1826, or four years before the Book of Mormon was printed, and this confession was in a court record, it would have been impossible for him to have organized the restored church, end quote. This was the LDS apologist's stance until I was 10 years old. Then, when I was 10 years old, 140 years of denials by the church elite, one Reverend Wesley Walters discovered a court document in the basement of the Shinago, County, State of New York, Courthouse, Norwich, New York. This record shows conclusively, remember that word, that Joseph Smith Jr., founder of Mormonism, self-proclaimed prophet, who professed to have unearthed golden plates buried in a hill near his parents' home, was officially and criminally convicted of fraud during the same time he was supposedly receiving inspired instructions from on high about some gold plates buried near his parents' home. For years, rumors swirled around Smith and his legendary peepstone activities, but no evidence could ever prove it. His own father-in-law, named Isaac Hale, way back when Joseph started courting his daughter Emma, reported that Joseph was nothing but a con. But again, LDS defenders ascribed his view to just being anti and bitter because Joseph took away his daughter. With the discovery of the court document in 1971, it appears Joseph Smith's father-in-law was a man who spoke the truth. This is what his father-in-law said, which was published in the Susquehanna Register on May 1st, 1834. Read up and listen. Isaac Hale wrote, I first became acquainted with Joseph Smith Jr. in November of 1825. He was at that time in the employ of a set of men who were called money diggers. And his occupation was that of seeing, or pretending to see, by what, by that, what means of a stone placed in his hat, and his hat closed over his face. In this way he pretended to discover minerals and hidden treasures. Smith and his father, with several other money diggers, boarded at my house while they were employed in digging for a mine that they supposedly had been opened and worked by the Spaniards. Young Smith made several visits at my house and at length asked my consent to his marrying my daughter, Emma. This I refused. He was a stranger and followed a business I could not approve. Smith stated to me that he had given up what he called glass-looking and that he expected to work hard for a living. Soon after this, I was informed that they had brought a wonderful book of plates down with them. The manner in which he pretended to read and interpret was the same as when he looked for with the money diggers, with the stone in his hat and his hat over his face, while the plates were at the same time hidden in the woods." For the first 140 years after Joseph Smith formed the church, LDS members, defenders, and apologists cried that those who questioned Joseph Smith, they would say, you lie, you lie, you lie. The prophet Joseph was never involved in such activities and he translated the sacred Book of Mormon by using a thing called the Urim and Thummim, which came with the golden plates, not by staring into a hat with a rock into it and pretending to see uh, that he used to find buried treasure with, that was until 1971, now uh, now regarding this subject, only the uninform, uninformed Mormons will cry, you lie, you lie, you lie. But what do informed apologists and defenders who know the truth, what do they say about this fact relative to Joseph Smith that it was proven in 1971? That he was convicted of conning people by pretending to find buried treasure on their lot, by looking uh, at a rock in a hat. And with that same method, he used to supposedly and secretly translate these golden plates by looking at the rock into the hat. You know what they say? They say, so what? They say, I know the church is true. Um, they say those facts don't mean he lied about the plates or the first vision or the revelations he had. Listen to LDS apologist Marvin Hill and what he says. Listen closely. Quote, for the historian interested in Joseph Smith the man, it does not seem incongruous for him to have hunted for treasure with a seer stone and then to use it with full faith to receive revelations from the Lord. End quote. It doesn't matter what the facts say. It does not matter what they point out. What matters is their desire to believe. Since Reverend Walters literally proved through court documents that Joseph Smith was a convicted con man, uh, the LDS have had to become more forthright in their explanation of how he translated the golden plates. Now all the Urim and Thummim talk has kind of fallen into this who the hell knows what happened with the Urim and Thummim. Because he never used a Urim and Thummum to quote-unquote translate the plates. He used this method of putting the stone in the hat, reciting things, and we're going to talk about how he did it in future shows, reciting things, and then in a stupor of thought, going off alone, thinking, coming back, and doing the same thing. Later on in his life, he got rid of the prop of the hat and the stone altogether and just stood there and received the revelations directly, and they wrote the things down. Uh, But most people don't care. Uh, Not very much. They didn't care when they thought because of Mark Hoffman's forgeries that Joseph Smith talked with a salamander either. Very few people left the church when that was believed to be true. Beliefs are far stronger in human beings, my friends, than facts. In this case, to believe in Joseph Smith and Mormonism is far easier, is more convenient, and, is, and it apparently pleases most Mormons more than questioning those things, doubting them, and maybe even having to walk away from them. Those people, you might be one of them. Uh, who choose to bury their heads because a lie is more convenient to their lives than hard, cold facts, will pay a price. Um, If Jesus' apostles died for the truth, if millions of Christians have died, given their life, to both pass forward the, the Word of God and or in their testifying of Christ Jesus, millions read Fox's Book of Martyrs, Someone who lives on this earth in a lie and deception and does it because it conveniences them will be held accountable. I'm telling you. So, uh, But here's the real clincher. History proves, and we're gonna cover this in the next several shows, that Joseph Smith was not just a kid out goofing around and pretending to fool farmers about buried treasure uh, there on their land. His magical practices his sacred rocks, which are up in the seer stones, which are in the office of the First Presidency here in Salt Lake City today, his magical amulets, his parchments that were found on him when he was shot, magical parchments, all were part of his whole makeup as he progressed and formulated Mormonism from the beginning. This is the fertilizer we're gonna be talking about for the next several weeks. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20. 801-973-8820. We appreciate all your love and support and prayers. Uh, We thank you and we ask you to prayerfully consider the following. you looking very fancy tonight, Marnita. <laughs> hey, we're back. Hey, listen, uh, we get uh, probably maybe once a month, we get a letter from somebody in the uh, prison system here in Utah. Just received this one today. and just reminded me. I want to say, uh, we used to do shout-outs on the show years ago. Just want to shout-out to all you uh, prisoners and inmates out there. And our hearts and prayers are with you. Uh, you're on my personal prayer list for prisoners, and uh, we know that uh, you were caught for mistakes many of us have considered doing or were never caught for. So uh, uh, we hope you will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as the source of your salvation, and, uh, and continue to watch. If you're LDS, realize that what they do to you in there in terms of your repentance process is baloney. You go directly to Christ, ask him for new life, and he'll give it to you. Just to let you know, uh, the Greenery Restaurant, someone passed this off to me a few weeks ago, is giving you $4 off on an order of a half-dozen of Mormon muffins. So, so, the Greenery Restaurant, $4 off, half-dozen order, Mormon muffins. Now, it doesn't include what's in uh, the Mormon muffin, but I would believe there's grape Kool-Aid in there somewhere. I, I just have to believe it's in there somewhere. Okay, but up. ba What lengths will people go to create a deception in the name of God? We received, uh, Derek received this letter, he called me, and it has the name of a man, a real man, a real address in West Valley City, real zip code, and real phone number. And the letter is, I mean, it's double, uh, single spaced, double typed. And it goes on, and he just lambasts me in the name of this poor man, and he says he's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. Watch out, the church is true, you're this. And then he adds in here, and I'm a child molester. And then he goes on and does all this other stuff, and he says all this other stuff, and he says, you know, may the real Jesus find you and bless you, and then he signs the name by this guy's name. So we call this guy. Do you send us a letter? No. No, I would never send a letter like that. His kid talked to us. So what this what this evil person did, who I guess is LDS, wanted me to get up here and read this off about this atrocity and think that we're that stupid that we're going to lambaste this poor innocent guy and that you are so evil that you would go to the time to professionally write this thing and send it to us. You're sick, you're sick. All right. Um, we have some calls. Who do we got? I can't see it with all those questions. Can we scroll up, down? Is anybody on the phone? Are they listening? Is anybody, uh, are the phone lines are lit up. Is there a call available? Okay. Still, okay. Uh, why was it okay for Joseph Smith to drink and smoke after he wrote the Word of Wisdom, and it's not okay for us? Uh, probably the same reason why it was okay for Joseph to get 14-year-old brides, and it's not okay for us. Uh, and hide him from his wives. Probably for the same reason everything was okay for Joseph. Listen, it was a con from the get-go. The Word of Wisdom, Joseph Smith, way after he received the revelation, put a bar in his house. They had bars here in Salt Lake City when Brigham Young founded it. The, The whole thing, when the Word of Wisdom for Mormons, that is, don't smoke, drink, alcohol, coffee, tea, when that became really strong in the Mormon church was when they got rid of polygamy. Polygamy once separated them from the rest of the world. Nobody wanted to kind of hang out with the Mormons because they were polygamists. When that went away, they had to come up with something else that would make them unique so they could grow in their us versus them mentality. So what did they do? They pumped up the Word of Wisdom thing and that's when it became popular. So, you know, all of the stuff is a tool to manipulate and to get the whole thing up and running and that is why you can't smoke or have a beer today and Joseph Smith could. Uh, This is a question, uh, how many wives did God have to bring, have have to bring all these spirit babies into being? Was God a polygamist? According to LDS doctrine, it was God and Heavenly Father, God and his wives, not wife, in the premortal existence. Uh, uh, Doctrine and Covenants 132 Presents polygamy as an eternal principle. That means to Mormons it has always existed and it will always exist. It doesn't exist right now in practice, but it does in terms of a doctrine. Because the law won't allow it to exist in terms of a practice. If the law allowed polygamy, the LDS would sometime reinstitute it here in this uh, in this country. Because but because the law per, for, forbade it and they couldn't become a state. Uh, They issued a manifesto saying it's off right now. But it's still part of the Doctrine and Covenants, it's still an eternal principle. This is why a Latter-day Saint man today who's married to his wife and his wife dies, he can go and take another girl into the LDS temple, be sealed to her for all eternity, she dies, he can go again and get another one, and when he dies all of them will be his wives. So where the LDS church says we don't have anything to do with polygamy, it's a lie. They still practice it. It's to spiritually practice the principle they believe is eternal. If the principle is eternal, it existed when God was a man, which they believe, and when he lived, and he also acquired wives, and when he went to his celestial kingdom, he took them with him. They created spirit babies, us, and that's how the whole thing keeps going. All right? We're going to go to Bob in Clearfield on line one. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter.
1: Hi, Sean. Hey, um, you were talking earlier, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, about the Irm and Thummim and about Joseph Smith supposedly having it. My understanding, and I am not on LBS, by the way, uh-huh. but uh, my understanding was that when he did the original translation of the first 114 or 118 pages, whatever yeah. it was that got lost, once those pages got lost, God got mad and took the magic spectacles away from him, and then he had to use his share stone to translate the mini plates and start over. Now, did you understand it that way when you were growing up or when you were LDS?
2: Uh, When I was LDS, no, but I understand it that way now. I don't understand it that, uh, and what he's taught, viewers, what Bob's talking about is Joseph Smith, when he first started translating the Book of Mormon, the plates were under a blanket, we're gonna get to all this later, and he sat on one side of a, of a curtain and his wife sat on the other or sometimes right across from him with the plates covered. And Joseph would use the uh, spectacles that he's talking about, the Urim and Thummim. I always said Urim and Thummim, but it kind of sounds weird. And, uh, and then what he's saying is Joseph lost the first 116 pages and he's saying that God took those away. I never understood even today that he took those away permanently. I think they were always available to Joseph. But he, uh, he used them as a prop when he started. And after the 116 pages were lost, he just went to the stone. And because the stone was easier, in my opinion, because in the hat he could put his outline. But we'll talk about that as time goes on.
1: Okay. And then one other thing you brought up um, when you were talking about the word of wisdom, one thing I've always been very curious about is it talks about in there about only eating meat in winter and times of famine, yet they serve meat in the cafeteria at the temple on a daily basis. (laughs) Why doesn't that matter?
2: Yeah, I know. How come Cafe Rio owners aren't listening to that? Yeah, you know, it's really just... It also says you can drink mild barley drinks. I mean, the only mild barley drink I can think of is beer, you know? Uh, Uh, uh But but, uh, they just... They really operate off uh, an as-needed basis. And the doctrines themselves, there's always a slippery slope that they can play one side or the other. And they do. That's how they survive.
1: I, I just find it amazing that the doctrine of God can be, remain ever-changing and never stay the same. He keeps revealing different new things and changing his mind about what he originally came out with. and It's hard to imagine that the one everlasting almighty God who knows all would have to change his mind, he would be wrong about something.
2: Isn't that amazing?
1: Yeah, it is, Just that's amazing. really all I have, Sean. Thanks for your time.
2: Thanks for watching, Bob, T- take care. Uh, Dave, he's, right before Joseph Smith was shot, he requested a bottle of wine because he was very depressed. And yes, and he and Hiram and John Taylor, yes, they did drink wine uh, the night or the day that he was shot but I'll wait for the question to be finished. Uh, There's another question up top that says, when Joseph Smith translated the Golden Plates, was it translated straight in a chapter format, or was it formatted at a later time? Let me tell you something. The Book of Mormon that we have now uh, is nothing like the Book of Mormon that Joseph Smith uh, gave. Joseph Smith gave a, uh, just, it was like a novel, and without really probably many paragraphs. It was just the writing, Uh, And it wasn't broken up into chapters, Uh, it wasn't, I don't believe it was broken up into chapters or verses, it was just like a novel and then they came back later and did it. But what's more impressive in in the negative is that the verbiage was so off, 3,900 and something changes in it, so the Book of Mormon you read now reads more like scripture. But if you had an authentic Book of Mormon and read what Joseph Smith, it would read like, you know, uh, it would read like a farmer uh, wrote a book of, of crazy fiction and you would know it was a more of a con. So when we get to the Book of Mormon and start going through it, I'm going to use the original version and read from it so you can see what he was really saying and you're going to see the thing was a joke, okay? So a uh, reference for that wine drinking is History of the Church, Volume 7, page 100-102. through 102. Operators, uh, still uh, clearing your call? Listen, a man named Warren Cole Smith, he's an evangelical, he wrote a long article about politics. He says, my final point may seem minor to most Americans, but I think it should make a significant difference to evangelicals. As Theodore Roosevelt said, the presidency is a bully pulpit. Indeed, it has become the bulliest pulpit in the world. The entire planet hangs on what the occupant of that pulpit says and does. Placing a Latter-day Saint in the pulpit would be a source of pride and a shot of adrenaline for the LDS Church. It would serve to normalize the false teachings of Mormonism the world over. It would also provide an opening for Mormon missionaries around the world who could start every conversation with, quote, Let me tell you about the American president. To elect a Mormon president is to advance the cause of the Mormon church. I could not agree with somebody more. Unfortunately, here in the state of Utah, there is a Christian reverend who, in the newspaper on uh, KSL.com, is quoted as saying that the article was uh, this is the bedrock of discrimination and bias. And should not be part of the American conversation. What he was talking about is criticizing a candidate uh, for presidency because of their religious faith. So we have Christians now stepping into the arena and saying, leave them alone. We don't care if they're LDS. We don't care if they worship the goat god Behemashima. We need to let them run and let them have that opportunity. Let me tell you something. This Warren Cole Smith could not be more right. You cannot put uh, a Latter-day Saint in the office because when you do, Mormonism wins. Okay, uh, we're going to go to Tracy, who is LDS. Uh, It says T J or T J in Tracy, California. T J, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey. T J, you got to speak up.
0: Uh, I'm on speaker.
2: Yeah, you're on the air.
0: Let's see, Uh, I was thinking about what you told me uh, last time about facts, so... um,
2: Okay, wait, Tracy? Oh, wait, TJ? TJ? Huh? Yeah. Okay, try to move your mouth a little bit away from the phone and talk a little bit quicker. All right, sure. Okay, good.
0: All right, is that good? Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I was thinking about what you told me last time about facts. About and um, so I was thinking of telling you something that may uh, bring some truth for the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith. So um, I want to ask you, have you ever heard of the discovery of Nahum and Bountiful in the Valley of Lemuel and the River of Laman that empties out into the Red Sea?
2: Yeah, I have, absolutely. We've covered that on the show. And the LDS use of that as evidence that the Book of Mormon... Uh, it was an ancient document is laughable. First of all, it wasn't N-A-H-O-M that was discovered, TJ. It was uh, the letters N-H-M. That was what was inscribed upon the tablet. That's the single evidence. They find some letters inscribed on a tablet that say N-H-M and they believe that that proves that the word Nahum that Joseph Smith used in the uh, Book of Mormon proves it was a historical document. It's not. That's just a little, I mean, it's, I, I, I can't even think about what it's like. It's like having a Grand Canyon full of proofs that the thing is false. And then at the top of the Grand Canyon, you stumble over a bone and you say, this was an American Indian that was in the Book of Mormon. I mean, you, you can't think this way. You have to look at what the preponderance of evidence. And if something comes up, sure, search it, test the Nahum theory. But it's just not right.
0: Does that help? Well, um, Nahum is not the only place, you know. There's a valley of Romeo and a river of Boivit in uh, Bountiful. I, 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 that I, just
2: it's a not, called, I, it's I, not I, called Nahum in Bountiful, if that's what you said, TJ. It's not. You're, re- you're reading Mormon propaganda. You're reading their spin. Check it out. Search it more. Find out. And call me from a phone that I can understand you on because I can't understand you and that's part of maybe our problem. Love you. okay. And you know when I do that, the LDS get on their blogs and say, do you see, Sean's afraid of someone who's presenting him with factual evidence. That's the, the NHM uh, letters are nothing when it comes to the Book of Mormon. We wanna deal with people who really have searching hearts or real good queries. If you're LDS and you think you've got something that really does matter, bring it forward. We're going to uh, Bernie who's a woman. Bernie, you're on Heart of the Matter.
0: Hi, a um, couple of questions, first of all. Yeah. I am looking forward to meeting you at Wheeler Farm tomorrow. Same here. With the Calvary Chapel Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second question is, what is your opinion on the sister wives?
2: The sister wives of, of, uh, uh, in polygamy?
0: Uh, yeah, the, the, the uh, reality, reality show oh. that comes on TV.
2: You know, I don't, I really, I, I watch maybe one show a week on television. I, I'm not a big television watcher. Oh, awesome. I've never seen it. But I hear it's uh, kind of entertaining, and I know it's unfortunate for those wives. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah,
0: well, it just it makes my stomach turn. I just thought yeah. I'd ask you what your opinion was,
2: so. Well, thanks, Bernie. I look forward to meeting you.
0: I like your necklace, too. My necklace? I like your necklace. Thank you. All right, dear. I'll see you at the park.
2: Okay, Bernie. Take care. Oh, bye, dear. Bye-bye. We're going to Martha and Sandy, first-time caller. Martha, you're on Heart of the Matter. Martha? Hi. Hi, Martha.
0: Oh, Hi, Sean. God bless you. I'm first-time caller, avid listener, and watcher. Uh, Thank you very much. I just had a question. I recently heard that uh, the LDS are building a temple in uh, Rome, yeah. Italy. Yeah. Yeah. On that temple, they are going to be putting huge crosses uh, over the doors, apparently. And um, number one, I want to know is that factual? And number two, if it is, is there any plans that they will be now putting crosses and other things on their other buildings? Um, so I'll okay. do, let you go with that.
2: All right, are you going to stay on the line?
0: Uh, I'll just hang up and let you answer on, on your show.
2: Thanks, Martha. Thank
0: God you so God much. Bye-bye. God bless
2: you. You too. Uh, we uh, had some pictures uh, sent to us from a secretary of some sort who was connected to the architects of that temple, and uh, uh, they confirmed that the architects were talking and they couldn't understand why they were putting those crosses on the door. Now this could be all hearsay and myth-making. I'm not saying that's factual. We did look at close renderings of the Rome temple and it does in fact look like in the etched glass or wood are figures of the cross. Uh, However, um, we don't know it to be fact. If they are doing that, um, I personally say it's one of two things. It's either a great a deception there in Rome to get ingratiated with the Catholics or whatever, and or it's a step to just try to become a little bit more. I would love for the LDS churches to put a, a, a horizontal bar on all those steeples they've got and, and put crosses on there. And, and, and even if they haven't changed their doctrine, just by doing that, it is going to open up their members to the purpose and need and beauty of the cross. And so while, yes, they're deceptive, and yes, they think they're ahead of the game, and they're keeping themselves strong as an institution, God knows what he's doing. And if, he's, uh, if this stuff is happening, I say, keep going. Go ahead and do it. You know, I don't think they will. We're going to see if that is the case in Rome, and it will be interesting if, if it happens. So we'll talk about that more. Uh, you know... Somebody from their mission sent a newsletter that went out to the missionaries. Now, the Mormons all say, we just love and embrace everybody, and everybody's fine. Here are the, the missionaries' uh, Protestant articles of faith. They, number one, this is what the missionaries are mocking about Protestants. They say that we say, we believe in God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, are one God, but three gods, but one God, but three gods. They are three parts, but one God, sort of like an egg. That's the first one. Second one, we believe that man is born under Adam's sin, but ultimately we won't be accountable for any of the sins we commit. This is their attitude, my friends. They think they're keeping uh, the law, and they think they are righteous and Christians are not. Number three, we believe that through the grace of Christ, all mankind will be saved regardless of obedience, ordinances, or works. It goes on and on and mocks uh, 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 It mocks the heck out of evangelical Christianity, of the Protestant religion. Uh, We believe in being subject to kings, president, rulers, magistrates, preachers, and pastors, and honoring sustaining laws as long as they tell us to. And uh, the final one is we believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, virtuous, and doing good to all men on Sunday. Indeed, we read the admonition of Paul one time. We believe some things, we hope many things, we have endured many things, we hope to endure more things. If there's anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy, we label it a cult and seek to crush and destroy it. They put on on a, a pretense that they are holy and good and love everybody and they use this ecumenical kind of format to get their way going. It's not true. I'm not a fanatic. I am so laid back, but I'm just telling you, this stuff is not true. We are going to John in Salt Lake City, first-time caller, and he's LDS. John, you're on Heart of the Matter.
0: Hello? Hey, John, you're on the air. Uh, yes, Sean, I had a question about, you know, what your educational background is. Do you, do you have a degree in theology <laughs> or?
2: No. I, uh, my educational background is... Uh, And I'm not being facetious here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Went through uh, grammar school and cheated my way through it. Uh, Junior high school, barely passed. High school, cheated my way through that. College, cheated my way through that, BYU. Uh, And then I was a Mormon and I was a stockbroker and I had a number of uh, classes I took relative to that, continuing education. And then I went to Bible school uh, for two years full time, non accredited, not a degree, and that was through Calvary Chapel School of Ministry in Costa Mesa, California, and that's my education.
0: Okay. Well, can, I, um, you, you, can I
2: ask you why?
0: Well, you know, you seem to know a lot about the Bible and, and um how does that happen? You know, maybe we don't see eye to eye on some things. You know, I'm active in the LDS church and and I, you know, I wonder about some of the things you say and, you know, it'll give me good things to research about. But I don't understand why, why the church continues to grow so so tremendously if, if, if all these people are being deceived. I... Oh, well, let me
2: answer that. You know, Jesus says, straight as the gate narrows the way, few be there that find it. Muslims are a billion ahead of you, buddy. So I mean, if you think you're big shots because you got 12 million, 16 million people, I mean, the Muslims are crushing you. Well, so if, well, if it, we're talking it, about size uh, being indicative of truth, uh, yeah, I don't think that's really a, a good measurement. Lack of an from an ed, uneducated man. That's what I think.
0: So, so you think uh, that all the leaders of the LDS Church uh, is education, as educated as they are, or are deceived?
2: Well, I have to to read this to you. Can I read from the Bible? Which I only went two years, but I do remember some things. Let me read this to you. It says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, that means the, the creatures who really can't hardly even talk, dude. The ones who are like living in farmlands, you can't tell them between the animals. The base things of the world... And the, that, no and the things that and, and the things that are despised. And, and, and wait, wait. And the things that are despised has God chosen? Yea, and the things that are not the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. Now, what were you talking about? The educational level of who? The apostles? Sure. Oh, and you think that's a
0: good thing? Well, I think they're in a more spiritual situation than you might be. Oh, and ba- what do you base that on? The fact that
2: they've got a degree? How, what kind of degree did Peter or uh, have? What kind of degree did John or Andrew have? Oh, fishermen? Oop, despised tax collectors? Was, and Joseph Smith was a farmer. Oh, that's a good fallback, and, too. And
0: it was prophesied that, people so like Joseph
2: Smith was a hayseed. Jo- um,
0: What's that? you you got a chip on your shoulder, I think, because... No,
2: you, you know, know what I do? I get right up to up the you, heart of now the now matter, dude. You're, you're, you're a phony. You are church. pretentious. You stand and preach You again? call, and you have this so, air about you. <laughs> Sean, hey, uh... I mean, listen, we, we have some things about each other that we kind of agree and disagree. But, prophesied you know, Sean, from
1: Sean, the what's your, time, what's your educational like you level, Sean? I mean, the, the
2: apostles are educated and wealthy men, and the church is growing so fast, Sean. I mean, tell me, how could that be if it wasn't true? You're an idiot! <laughs> Read the Bible! Read the Word! You will find that you are arrogant to the bottom of your souls. Why don't you look up and see oh, yourself yeah, in a you sinner so that, well, you are? John, that, that you are?
0: Can, you can say that I'm arrogant, but... but you, well,
2: what are you if it wasn't arrogance?
0: You're, well, you're preaching, you
2: know... What was it if it wasn't arrogance? You're arrogant. No, what was that if it wasn't <laughs> arrogance? Academic <laughs> uh, achievement? Growth You've of your a, church? On your what was that if that wasn't arrogance? Was it Things pride? It worked for you. You've got
0: a chip on your shoulder. No, I do now have a chip on a my shoulder. I spent LDS 40 religion. years
2: in a church That's that was a lot. Right.
0: You've got 1,300 people watching you, and the church has 13 million members. Okay. You know what?
2: I praise oh. God for the 1,300 that are watching me. If there was two watching me, I praise God that we're reaching two. You are a proud fool. Good luck, buddy. Good luck. Oh, we're out of time. Five seconds. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.